Hello and welcome to Ladies First, the fandom podcast for all your fem slash needs. I'm Gretchen and with me today are my regular co-hosts Corey. Hello. And Elizabeth. Hello. We all write for the website The Fandamentals, exploring the fundamentals of fandom. And today we have something really happy in store for you. Um, We are going to talk about this little gem of a Netflix sitcom called One Day at a Time. It kind of flew under the radar for a little bit, but you definitely need to check it out. It's amazing. It's so good. It's one season. It's bingeable in an afternoon. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. It's awesome. I don't even like sitcoms. Honestly, I do not I like sitcoms. I made her watch it. I know. Same. Corey made me yeah. watch it. Yep. Yeah, and I made you both watch it. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so good. It is. It's very good. So, this is produced by... Is it produced? Norman Lear? Yeah. He's the guy that kind of spearheaded this. Um, For people who don't know this, and I'm going to jump in just because I love Norman Lear, um, he's responsible for most of the classic sitcoms, like the old school classic sitcoms, uh, like late 70s, 80s. Um, I'm talking about like All in the Family, The Jeffersons, The Original One Day at a Time, Sanford and Son, Good Times. Um, I mean, he he's done more than that. I, this is just a small sampling of it, but he was he was a sitcom. I'm not saying he was like he's dead. He's alive actually, um, obviously, but he's a writer and director that he really broke a lot of ground and normalized and reflected everyday American life back to everybody who was watching. And it was so groundbreaking Mm. because he would do that for all Americans. Mm. You know, the Jeffersons, you see people commenting, that was the first time I ever saw a black person write a check on TV. Mm. Or, you know, one day at a time, it was a single mother. Um, So he really was responsible for kind of normalizing all sorts of different walks of life for America and kind of reflecting back the different issues that people faced. And he did it very thoughtfully. When I mean, he, came- he handled it very, very sensitively. Well, he came out of retirement to do this, right? Right, he did. He'd been gone for a long time. And... He just wanted to do this, and he contacted the legendary Rita Moreno and mm. was like, hey, you want to do this? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and it just kind of kick-started from there. He was looking on how to base this. He um, brought on Gloria calderon Kellett, And, I mean, she's Cuban-American herself and Mike Royce, and they kind of co-spearheaded that show. And that's how we have the reboot of One Day at a Time, complete with the amazing Gloria Estefan redo of the theme. Oh, the theme is so good. Mm-hmm. It really is very well done. <clears throat> a great update. Well, you mentioned Cuban American, and for those of you who haven't watched this sitcom, the reason that's important is because this is a Cuban American family, mm-hmm. which is an interesting choice because the from what I understand, the original One Day at a Time was, yes, it was about a single mother, but it was about a white family. Correct? 
white. Yeah, they were white with an Italian background, I believe. Italian. So, I mean, at the time, one day at a time, the original one first aired, it was still very much groundbreaking because you had a single mother. Right, right. So and now he, it's just he's pushing that further. Right, he found a way to adapt what at the time was a groundbreaking show to what now is considered a groundbreaking show, which is mm-hmm. a single mother who is a woman of color. It's a family, an immigrant family, and she's also a vet, which we'll get to. Um, but first, we need to talk about the writers, that this is a show about minorities and... Um, Lear did such a good job getting a a team of people together to write this who uh, are representative of the people who the show is talking about. So we'll talk about mm-hmm. on this show sometimes we'll talk about how important representation is not just in characters but also in the writer's room. And this is a show where he put his money where his mouth was and half the writers are either women, queer, or people of color. Mm-hmm. Well, and it just, it adds that layer of authenticity because mm-hmm. some of the stuff that we watch or we're going to talk about, it's, I mean, you know the writers have been there themselves or it's something they've lived or have gone through or have interviewed people for. Because I mean, that's one of Lear's, Norman Lear's things is I have to, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. Hmm. Right. If he's going to talk Rita about, Moreno. yeah, <laughs> we can't talk enough about Rita Moreno. Like, if we're gonna, if he's going to talk about people in a particular minority category, he's going to have people on his team doing that. Um, mm-hmm. And what's interesting is Royce, Mike Royce, who was is one of the writers. He was while the show is being made. He's been going through a journey of his own child coming out while they were planning the show. Um, and to back up, we didn't mention this earlier. That's one of the amazing things about this show is that the daughter of the, so the daughter character, her name is Elena. She goes through a journey of coming out to her family. And this was apparently something that one of the writers was an experience he was having with his own family. And Corey, you mentioned authenticity and that just shows so much, especially with how Penelope, who's the mother, her journey in accepting her daughter's coming out on the show feels so real and honest and authentic to what this experience is like. And that's because it is. Yeah. Uh, and that's just, uh, that's just one example. Right. So are we going to talk about Elena yet? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get to there. We're gonna get okay. to there. Let's let's, let's kind of go on. Uh, let's touch on the, the characters really quick, though. Um, so if you haven't watched this, or if you have watched it, I mean, it doesn't hurt. Um, the reboot centered around a Cuban American family, and the main character Penelope Alvarez. Um, she's played by Justine Machado, and she's a now single mother, and she's heading a family of a teenage daughter, Elena. And played by Isabella Gomez, um, her younger teenage son, Alex, played by Marcel Ruiz, and her mother, Lydia Riera. 
played by Rita Moreno. Uh, <laughs> and then rounding out the cast that we might be talking about, uh, it's Penelope's boss, uh, Dr. Leslie Berkowitz, and that's played by legendary character actor Stephen Tobolowsky. And then um, their landlord, Schneider, who's played by Todd Grinnell. And for some background, Penelope is a nurse. Uh, she was a combat medic in Afghanistan. She was actually wounded. That's why she was no longer in the service. And Lydia is her widowed mother and was actually a Cuban refugee that came over as a Pedro Pan child. Mm-hmm. And then her daughter, Elena, we talked about just briefly. I mean, she's this very intelligent, outspoken feminist. And then you have Alex, and he's... He's a kid, and he's kind of vain, and he's a jock, but he's, you know, he's got a good heart. One of the things I really love about Alex is he doesn't look or even really act like your stereotypical jock kid. Yes, he's a jock. He plays baseball, and he gets really starstruck by one of the, you know, star baseball players, and, but he walks this line between being really fashion conscious like he's concerned with his hair and what (laughs) shoes he wears it's a cultural thing and also being yeah what oh i said it was a a cultural thing oh right yeah (laughs) right that's very very true so he's he's such a great kid and he doesn't really fall into a stereotype which none of the characters do and you would think that there's potential for it there is potential for stereotyping and it never happens which is Delightful. Delightful. So, that's the background, and we're just going to dive right in and talk about themes, because although this is a sitcom, this is a show that that deals with some really heavy stuff, but does it with grace. Kind of like... It deals with very heavy themes, but it's not a special, a very special episode. It's the themes they're talking about. They start in the first episode, and they carry through Mm -hmm. through most of the season. So there's no... If you're worried about this, there's no very special episode where everyone learns their lesson, and we never talk about it again. (laughs) Yeah, they do really well in avoiding that. You know what I'm referring to. Yes. Well, there's several things I could be referring to, but you know the general idea of what I'm referring to. I was going to say, Corey, isn't that like literally every, pretty much every sitcom that's ever aired on television? Right? Well, well not this one, episode. damn it. Yeah, not this, <laughs> this one. This one bucks the trend. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, moving on. Right. So, themes. <laughs> I, I'm going to actually kick this off. Um, Norman Lear is a very, very outspoken proponent of... Uh, supporting our veterans. Mm. And that was something he really did want to incorporate with this new series. And it's something we see, like uh, we just mentioned, um, Penelope. She She's a vet. And she was wounded. She has problems with her shoulder. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the big episodes we see her dealing with that is she's trying... To get a hold of Veterans Affairs to get some help for her arm because she's thrown it out and she can barely move it. And she has to wait and wait and wait and keeps getting red taped and red taped and red taped until she finally, you know, just lets it off at the lady on the other end of the phone. And, you know, we find out the reason she's no longer with her husband. Mm -hmm. He was prior. They were both they're both vets. 
And prior to them going overseas, he was this warm, funny, caring guy. Mm. He was in combat, saw some stuff, had a traumatic brain injury, and he did not come back the same. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he has... They both have PTSD, but they deal with it differently. Right. I mean, it's... He does not deal with his. He... I mean, he just does not deal with his PTSD. He won't get help for it. And I think the show makes a very good point of, at some point, that's his choice. You can't make him get that help. Right. And we find out that the reason she kicked him out was because he, one night, went in to go wake his kids up and tell them goodbye so he could go kill himself. I mean... Right. He he goes there, and it's, this is stuff that veterans are dealing with. Mm-hmm. But they contrast it with Penelope, who has her boss, um, you know, Doctor Berkowitz, who try, you know, is like, "Hey, I'll write you a prescription for some antidepressants. I really think you should take this." And he even says to her, and I love this about how this show kind of normalized. Um, people with mental health issues. It's like, if, I think, what did he say? If you had cancer, you'd get chemo for it, or diabetes. if you were sick, I'd write your prescription. Yeah, diabetes. It's diabetes is the go-to analogy. Yeah. I think he right, might have said a heart condition, take care of it. I think he said, like, if you had heart problems and I prescribed you pills to, to take them to help with your heart right, trouble, you would, take you would take it. I love that her response was, no, I'm Cuban, I would suffer in silence. <laughs> Right, but she still <laughs> comes around, and well, I mean, we see her mother. It's like, oh, those pills, and it, you know, it does talk about you know you're Cuban, you do suffer in silence, but she does make that point of she even tells her mother, it's like I need these, and then then going even further, she actually does go to a female veteran support group. Mm-hmm. I love that episode, and. So good. It's one of those things where we talk about authenticity. I know they had to have talked to a veteran about this because uh, guest star Judy Reyes uh, from Scrubs, she's on there, also playing lesbian represent. Um, <laughs> but she's on there and she's talking about, you know, when she would drive a car and be on alert overseas versus when she's trying to drive in Los Angeles, and she can't relax. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they had, that had to have been almost verbatim from somebody. They did also kind of make a joke about how you can't really relax while driving in L.A. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, right. but I mean, it's, the, the whole show, when it deals with extremely serious things, like, especially with um, Penelope's ex-husband, his, uh, his suicidal tendencies, but also, he's an addict, and... Mm. There's an int- towards the end of the season. There's a part where he's still drinking, but he stopped taking the pills. And there's a very difficult to watch but well done conversation where he's trying to pitch it to her like that, like, "No, it's totally fine. I mean, I drink, but I'm not, you know, taking opiates anymore." Which again is something else that you know had to have been referenced because it's a very real conversation. If you've ever known an addict, I mean, this is things that happen that they. Um, especially when they're not actively seeking help, is the the dialogue was very well written in that part. Um, but yeah, like it with uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Go. 
someone okay. else like to jump in? And even when <laughs> I thought of it, that very same conversation, one of the other things that he mentions, Victor, which is Penelope's husband's name, says, you know, earlier in that episode, he implies that he's seeing someone. Or that he's in some kind of program to help with his addiction. He doesn't actually say so, but he implies it very strongly. And when she finds out that he's not actually in a program, she confronts him about it. And he says, well, but I'm dealing with it myself. I have a regimen. Like, I have a program that I use for myself. So, it's fine. And again, that's That's not how the 12 steps work. Right? And yet, it's very real to this experience when you have PTSD and addiction of, you know, he doesn't want to get help from anyone. And some of that is culture clash. Some of that is gender. Some of that is personality of this character believes that he's capable of handling it by himself, and he's not. And Penelope, the series starts she thinks the same thing that she can handle it she has it under control and really just systematically like shows that what she really needs is other people like yet yeah, and she needs professional help like she starts taking antidepressants in the first episode and by the end of the yeah. episode she's made that decision and even though her mom kind of badgers her about it like she will just say like no this helps me I know you don't think I need this, but I do. So they actually Can I also just say when the kids found out she was taking antidepressants, I loved that they were just like, yeah, okay. I totally <laughs> yeah. get why you would be. Right? They yeah, the kids were just like, good. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're doing that. And the same thing happened when they found out about her support group. Like she didn't mm-hmm. want to tell them because she didn't want a bunch of questions and the reaction overall was just like, great. Glad you're getting help, mom. That sounds good for you. <laughs> I always think it's funny that parents think that teenagers are going to ask a bunch of prying personal questions. <laughs> like they think that the, they think that they're going to do to them what parents what do, to, do their to their kids. <laughs> like and the show actually deals with addiction a lot because then there's also Schneider, who has a five year sobriety chip, and that oh, that's get right. and that's constantly running in the background that he is someone who is an alcoholic and he's dealt with it and he's in the program and he just sort of lives his existence. He has a perfectly normal life. He has a found family with um, the Alvarezes. So, I just, I like that the... Sorry, go ahead, Corey. What I appreciate with Schneider, though, is they show him, like, they didn't shy away from, like, yeah, I was, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm five years sober. Oh, it's, oh, damn, you never bring it up. I mean, it's still there, but they show him as somebody who, yes, I am living with it, and I am happy-ish. Like, I'm okay. This mm-hmm. wasn't the end of my world. Oh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Everything is going to be terrible from now on. I'm, I'm not saying it's ever easy. Just speaking from personal experience, I'm going on three years right now. Mm. It's It's not easy. I mean, it's not, but it's... There are a lot of good days. And sometimes, outside of elementary, watching addiction depicted on television can be a very, very depressing mm-hmm. minefield. Yeah. And there are so few... I mean, it's all about all oh, these hopeless addicts and they're going to die. And, <laughs> and they never show the other side of that where people who have successfully gotten help or have taken control... And have learned the tools to 
you know, deal with it, who have come out from the other side and are happy. We don't, we don't get that because it's not as compelling as the drama. Or it's, oh, it's just tacked on at the end, like, oh, they're happy, yeah, yeah, whatever. But we never get to see people from the other side of that who, you know, have fought that down and who are succeeding and are, you know, they're good people. Right. So I really appreciated that with Schneider. Yeah. And he is very open about it, which is interesting because if you've ever actually known somebody who's been through a 12-step program or the the non-religious variations, they do talk about it. It's part of the steps. You have to be able to admit it to talk about it. He makes Mm -hmm. jokes about things like, like there's other characters around him that are drunk and he's like, oh, if I remember correctly, like this is about two tequila shots from floor. And like, but you know, he just, he feels very real. Right. Um, And it, it, it's a nice touch for the, the straight white guy character to have this very nice, uh, it's not quite a character, it's a character trait, but he has this character trait that makes him very human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's wonderfully written. I really, I adore Schneider. <laughs> I do too. Um, moving on, kind of tying though uh, into what we're talking about with veterans getting help. The women supporting women in this show, like, especially when she goes to that women's therapy group mm-hmm. oh, and they just all support her. Or when she first meets the woman who does introduce her to the therapy group. I mean, it's a fellow veteran and she immediately twigs onto the fact that Penelope's having an issue and she just levels with her. She's like, tell me what's going on, soldier. Hmm. You know, like, there's just, all of these women are supporting each other. Or, or you know, looking at um, Lydia and Penelope's relationship. Yeah. Um, there's this, the ep- what was the episode? No Mass. It's supposed to be like No Mass, but it's No Mass. <laughs> <laughs> and we see it's, Lydia wants them, I guess, to go to Mass. And Penelope's not really feeling it, because that's not really how she sees God and at the end they wind up having I don't want to say knockdown drag out but it's a very illuminating conversation and we find out you know Lydia believes because she prayed every day when her daughter was overseas mm. and to her God brought her daughter home safely and Penelope's like okay I get that you know for me it's it's Serena Williams I came out of this like day of being in surgery and I didn't know how I was going to make it out out of the day and I just walked by a rec room and she was playing tennis and I thought you know if she can do all of that then then I got this Mm -hmm. and then the next morning when Lydia gets up and begins making breakfast for the family she brings in two photos with her and puts them on the fridge (laughs) and one is a photo of the Pope and the other is photo of Serena Williams and yeah it's funny but in her own way she's supporting her daughter because she realizes that's what got my daughter through her day or through some of her darkest times so I'm going to support her this is my way of showing that support I love Lydia's ways of supporting the other women in her life she's really the the matriarch of this family and I think on the show she's in her 70s. So and she can be a bit um old-fashioned, over the top. Yeah, over I mean over the top. <laughs> I love her. She's glorious. 
But she's also more old-fashioned, I guess, in the way she sees the world. She's very strongly religious. She's very traditional in terms of gender roles and relationships between men and women. And yet she finds these just beautiful ways to support the different women in her life. Like you said, the picture of Serena Williams. Like, that's such a huge gesture of support <laughs> for her daughter. If you go into Elena, I'm going to tell you to hold it off for right now because we're going to get to coming out and how it affects everyone in the family. And you should oh, save it. Oh, it's so save good. It. You guys, that part is one of my save favorites. Save it. Save it. Save it. Um, yeah. Reel it in. Right. <sighs> okay. So, um, Elena supports her mom, though. Like, that's... She does. Like, all of these three... You have these three generations of women, and they're all very different. And they just... They might have disagreements, and they might have arguments, but they always come back around to supporting each other no matter what. Well, especially with Elena. Um, the, the overall kind of, I guess, loosely arcing plot for the first season is Elena's turning 15, and she's going to have a quinces. And, I mean, it's essentially a quinceanera, but in Cuban culture, it's called quinces. And the plot for the first, the pilot episode, is she doesn't want it. Right. And Penelope and Lydia are trying to talk her into having it. And finally, Penelope is like, I shouldn't force you to have a quinces. And, you know, really, I think it was more about me. So I could do this for you. And everybody would be like, oh, look at that single mom. She's got it all together. Mm. And that's what convinces Elena to do it. Because she gets up and like, Mom, I wanted a reason. Yeah, let's do this. Single moms. Single moms rock. I will dress up like a child bride for you. It, you know. And Penelope's like, I feel like I shouldn't do this now, but I'm going to take it and run. Right. And then in an episode is either the second or third episode where Penelope is butting heads with her male co-worker. And, I mean, she's a, she's an enlightened woman. She, we talk about generational differences on here. Uh, you know, Lydia is kind of old-fashioned, and then Penelope is that next generation. But she still has some stuff she doesn't really know that her daughter knows about. Mm. And her daughter is like, well, Mom, he was man mansplaining this to you. And she's explaining mansplaining and microaggressions to her mom. She's like, just because he's not... Being an outright, you know, abusive dick, right, doesn't mean he's still not being sexist, right? That's a huge. I love that whole discussion of because you get to see how different generations interpret sexism. Because mm -hmm. for Lydia, it wasn't really a thing. The grandmother, she doesn't see right. she doesn't see it that way, which makes sense given her age and the culture she was raised in, and. But for Penelope, it's to her, sexism means sexual harassment. You know? Right. It's like, well, he's not grabbing my ass, so it's not sexism. And Elena has to walk her through. No, like he's he's not valuing you as a person. That that's that the layer of sexism that a lot of young women in our generation are trying to communicate to our parents. I don't know about you. I have had this conversation with my mom <laughs> about about that that layer of sexism, the subtle sexism, the like non-overt mm -hmm. ways, the like he's getting paid more than you or he talks over you, he doesn't but listen what, to you, he's on the phone, he's on his phone while you're talking, like 
that kind of thing. Yeah, and one of the things I loved about this was Elena is very outspoken and a feminist, and the show never plays it as, like, a laugh thing. Oh, let's laugh at the feminist. Well, I mean, there is one instance, but, I mean, she's saving cafeteria scraps and putting worms in the food for compost. That's, that's kind of far for most people um i think they were making i think they were making fun more of uh the way that teenagers sort of approach activism as opposed to they're not making fun of her for being a feminist it's really just more sort of like a hey remember when you were 15 and you went about this absolutely the wrong way right right but you know she was the show narratively let her be on the right for how she was explaining this to her mother right she was supporting her mother, and it wasn't, oh, she's this crazy feminist. It's like, no, she has a point. Right? And and Penelope eventually realizes it and gets all up in her co- male co workers face about it. And She gets a raise job. out of the entire thing. Yeah, she quits her job. I mean, Penelope quits her job because she feels undervalued in her workplace, which was true. Not in a mean way, but it was true. And they actually... They had her boss admit it, too. Dr. Berkowitz actually came back, begged her to come to work for him again, apologized, and gave her a raise. It was beautiful. And it was in such a sweet way that you could tell he he didn't mean anything by it. But he recognized that even though he didn't intend to do anything hurtful, he still did. Mm-hmm. It just genuinely, genuinely didn't occur to him. Right. And that's exactly. what the apology centered around is he was just like, well, there's just used to be, this is just kind of how things are. And I've never really had it brought to my attention. So thank you for bringing this to my attention. Please come back. I need you. The place will fall <laughs> apart without you. Right. <laughs> because it would. Penelope makes so many things happen in that office. Yeah. Every woman knows what that feels like. Right. That yeah. This place would literally fall apart if I were not here. Right. Yeah. But th- the other thing the show talks about, though, when we're talking about, like, some generational differences with Lydia, some of how she approaches the world is because she she's a first-generation immigrant. Mm. And, you know, she came over, I said earlier, as a Pedropan kid. And she had to, she came over with her younger sister, and she had to leave her parents and her older sister behind. And we find out... Her family doesn't even know she'd had an older sister. Right. Because it was so painful for her. They left thinking, oh, this will be over in a few months. We can see each other again. And, you know, for Lydia's generation, that never happened. Mm-hmm. And I found out Rita, uh, Rita Moreno, she came over from, you know, not from Cuba, but from Puerto Rico. But she had a brother. And her mother couldn't afford to bring both of them, so she brought Rita. Oh. And, you know, Rita never saw her brother again. It makes so much... Like, that scene is so gut-wrenching. And it's not that she couldn't act it without that experience, but that just adds an extra layer to that Mm -hmm. scene on the show when she's talking about her older sister. Oh, man. Like, I was... I cried anyway. Now I'm going to cry even harder when I watch it again. (laughs) Well, it's just... It's a reality that, you know, a lot of us have never had to think about this at all. But for that generation of Cuban-American immigrants, those first-gen kids, is they never got to see their families again. Right. So that, yes, that shapes how she views the world. That shapes how she views her family. 
it shapes why she clings to some of those traditions because mm-hmm. that's literally all she was able to bring over outside of what you know she was able to wear right right her tradition oh. and her faith and really are what she has left of her family but at the same time i love that the show also acknowledges this is still a problem mm. because i mean maybe not with immigration coming here but it's still immigration still a big thing uh one of alina's best friend actually before um uh, before we okay. go jump onto that i want to talk about assimilation a little bit because i actually do have experience with this not as an immigrant but um it's not not from cuba my grandparents are russian and mm. both sides of my family uh one side is from ukraine the other side is from around i think moscow part of the family lived in st petersburg and they got the hell out of dodge in the middle of the russian revolution so a lot of the family actually got split up because um, mm. one some of them went towards europe the uh, the rest of the family went down through harpin china that's why actually the weird thing is uh when i was a kid i remember asking like why does grandma speak chinese and my mother's like she lived in china for five years like but why and so they she sort of explained it very simply at the time, but uh, the whole family, uh, they were all, most of them were Russian Jews, and I actually didn't find this out until I was much, much older, but they fled the revolution when they came here, they sort of assimilated into the Seventh-day Adventist church. If you know, if you know anything about Seventh-day Adventists, they're sort of like, they're sort of like Jews for Jesus. Uh, they, they go to church on Saturday, and they, they keep kosher law, so it's, it's very culturally similar, but they're not Jews. And because, you know, of course, Jews were not really, uh, I mean, they've been persecuted throughout history, obviously, but um, when they came here, their first first order of business was to assimilate into American culture so they don't stand out. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of things are lost. Like, a lot of family members, we have no idea whatever happened to them. Um, a lot of them, when they came here, they didn't necessarily come here legally, so they changed their names. Like, we've, mm-hmm. we've lost a lot of our family names. We... Uh, a lot of the culture was lost too like what little of it there is they cling to it so hard like Mm -hmm. the the russian nesting dolls and the food especially the food is the main cultural hallmark hallmark but i really liked this part of the show because it's something that just doesn't really get talked about much Mm -hmm. in television like and a lot of people do have grandparents who have had experiences like this that are absolutely insane if you ever actually listen to the whole story but they don't like to talk about it because it's difficult to talk about. And I hope that more exposure to it will get people to talk about it more, especially mm-hmm. about the pressure to assimilate in American culture. Because you see, like, Penelope, like, she speaks Spanish and English, but she doesn't have an accent. And she clearly grew up, you know, in American culture, absorbed in it. And my parents, my parents actually don't speak Russian because in the 1950s, you didn't teach your kids the second language. They needed to hear American. Hmm. So I just I I like that the show touched on this. I was not necessarily I was expecting them to talk a bit about it. I was not expecting an entire episode to be devoted to it. Oh right, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the episode where Alex, the younger brother, is doing a video for school about the history of his family, and that's the episode where Lydia talks about having an older sister. Yeah, and right. It's, it's fun- yep. Yeah, it's um. It's an entire epi- an entire episode, and some of it even talks about the history of Cuba and sort of the 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 complicated relationship that Cubans have with Fidel Castro. Like, I mean, there was this. It, it was not just like a one and done speech. There was, and it, and it was also talked about in other places 
in the series as well. It was this constant undercurrent of these generational differences. Well, you brought up food. Yeah, food. How important that is. And that, again, that's part of Lydia's character arc as well. Those are the only Russian words I know are food food names. (laughs) Because Lydia cooks for the family. And now that you bring that up, that makes a lot of sense that a part, it's, again, a part of how she preserves her traditions and her family is by cooking traditional Cuban dishes and mm-hmm. is humorously offended when Penelope <laughs> um, <laughs> fails to make the same quality of dishes or when Schneider decides, oh my gosh, I love that scene when Schneider decides to cook them dinner and he cooks them like couscous and kale. Oh my and God. Lydia comes back and is like, what kind of, who threw up on the plate? <laughs> <laughs> It's white people food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it and it was like the mo one of the most white people food displays. It was like salmon. It was like. Do salmon. you think? Yeah. It was do you think they workshopped that? Like they tried to cook. Like the whole writers room sat down. Like, what is the whitest dish you can think of? Well, they had to. I think like they mentioned quinoa. Oh no! Yeah, it was yes, they did. It was like super white hipster food. Yeah, quinoa and kale and some kind of meat. I don't remember what the meat was, um, but something very white. Yeah. Uh, but but um, I was just going to say, we can circle back around. This is about deportation. Yeah, I would like to Yeah, tying into that is there's a current struggle going on because we do have an influx of immigrants. Right. And as much as um, Lydia you know, had to deal with assimilation. You have this group of kids who their parents aren't legal here legally. I don't think a human being can be illegal. Anyways, their parents are not here legally, but they were born here. Mm -hmm. And one of Elena's friends, her best friend, Carmen, uh, played by Ariella Barrer. And by the way, if I'm butchering these names, I, I apologize to everybody who's listening. Um, Carmen, her parents were here illegally. Her, if I remember correctly, I think her dad got sick and they tried to go get treatment for it. And that's how they got caught. That's, yep. And they got deported. Mm-hmm. So for, there was an entire episode dealing with this where Penelope finds out that Carmen had been living under her roof, under her nose, just kind of staying in Elena's room and... That's why everything was getting organized, because she was trying to do extra household chores to kind of help out. And she has to go stay with her brother in Texas. I mean, they, I mean, she has to move. Mm-hmm. And it's very much Penelope kind of has this monologue of, like, no, they're come. everybody deserves a chance to try and have a better life. I'm not going to judge somebody for coming here to try and have a better life for their family. Right. They right. pulled a lot and of facts remember, in that episode. Oh, I, yeah. yeah there was, there's a lot of facts in, like, every episode that they're throwing down. Um, mm-hmm. But from the same perspective, I mean, you know, Carmen couldn't go back to Mexico. She's not Mexican. She grew up in the United States. Mm-hmm. But her family has to go back, so she has to completely uproot her life and go live with her older brother in Texas. Yep. Yep. And this has happened throughout 
U.S. history. Like, even, like, during the Great Depression, I don't know if, if you're not from California, you may not know this. Um, one of the things that they did in California was they took anybody who looked even vaguely Mexican. U.S. citizens didn't matter. They rounded them up and they sent them, air quotes, back to Mexico. So, like, this this happens in cycles, especially in times of economic right. turmoil. Mm-hmm. Um which is, again, another, like, I love the show for talking about these things and talking about them very frankly and using statistics and using hard facts and talking about it. Things like, like, well, it's, there's a 10-year waiting period to get into the U.S. unless you're marrying somebody from the U.S. And even if you are marrying somebody, that's not a guarantee that you're going to get in. Uh, like, And there's mountains of paperwork even if you are marrying somebody. Oh, God, somebody. yeah. Mountains. You have to prove. I mean, this is for white people marrying each other one of my best friends from college was trying to marry a guy from france yeah and the amount of paperwork they had to do mm. yeah you mm-hmm. have to basically prove that your marriage is real it's an incredibly dehumanizing process right mm-hmm. and they do it by giving a personal face to the plate yes with elena and carmen and that's so important because, again, like, it's about normalization. And how do you normalize it is you make it sympathetic. You make it about a 14-year-old girl whose best friend is going – is afraid that she's going to be sent home to Mexico after having lost her parents and is camping out in her best friend's room because she literally has nowhere to go. She's homeless and familyless. She's completely on her own. And it's heart breaking and you know that hits home it, it puts mm-hmm. like a face to this plight as this isn't just about those people this is about you know a teen girl losing her best friend and that friend losing her family and having to uproot her life because her dad got sick and i love mm-hmm. i love and that's, it was that. something as simple as her dad getting sick right yeah it reminds me a bit of Glee in presenting these stories in an incredibly sympathetic and humanizing light. It will alter people's perception mm. of, air quotes, the other. Right. Because if you make them appear yeah. human, then... Now save the Glee talk, because you and I are going to have words about that show down the line. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do want to kind of move on to about, you said normalizing. Elena coming out... Yeah, she came out, and it kind of became her whole family. It, w- it became her whole family story because we get to see her coming out and kind of coming to terms with it. And I loved how they did it because she even kind of was with a guy for a little while because she's like, if there was a guy I was gonna like, it's gonna be him. And I felt nothing. <laughs> the episode where the episode where Penelope thinks that they're like having sex and she freaks out and like ends up getting stuck in the doggy door. I promise that there are steps yeah. in between these two events, but yeah, uh, yeah, Elena is great. I also, speaking but, of Carmen, just real quick, that uh, part of like the seeding of Elena coming out. Okay, j- just a second. Okay. I think we're losing Elizabeth really quick. Um, right. I'm going to let her fix that mic problem. Um, I'm going to say I loved how Alex reacted to it because he accidentally overheard it and he was like, okay. And then. We find out Elena does explain bisexuality to him at some point. Okay, that is my favorite conversation. Oh my gosh, I love it. Like, and by explaining it to Alex, she's explaining it to the audience. And it's such a good analogy. Because she tells Alex, you know, 
I don't know if I like broccoli because I've never had broccoli. And he, of course, thinks it's about food and says, well, we had broccoli the other night. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, run with me here. Think of boys as broccoli. I've never had broccoli. I don't know if I like broccoli. And Alex asked really honest questions. I was like, well, but you've never tried cauliflower, his term for (laughs) girls, either. And Elena says, well, there's not as much cauliflower available, so I don't know. But just putting it in such simple terms and in a funny way, it is funny. Like, it's supposed to be funny, and it is a funny conversation, but it's also a very real conversation. And it gets really weird because the the food analogies and the people analogies get really mixed, and it's hilarious. You should go watch it. Um, But again, like, the writing is so good. They found a way to make investigating your your sexual orientation relatable relatable and understandable for people who might not get it it's so good right elizabeth are you back all right can you hear me now can you hear me Mm -hmm. no yes i think we've got okay okay you got it you can hear me right okay good um okay so as i was saying with Carmen with uh, Elena's friend I love that the way that they seeded it was that everybody thought that Elena and Carmen were a little queer uh, to borrow the phrasing um, I love that the grandmother just immediately zeroed in on it and Penelope's like no they're just friends they're just friends and she's like mm, no friends don't do that Which, and I lo- also love that it did turn out that they were just friends because shockingly uh, lesbians can be friends with women. I think we're having some problems with Elizabeth Mike again. <sighs> so I'm going to give her a chance to kind of tune in on that. What Elizabeth was trying to say was they kind of set it up that you think it's Elena and Carmen mm, right. who are involved with each other. And even even Penelope asks, she's like, I have to ask, are, are, are you and Carmen? And, and Elena's like, oh, God, no. She thinks love is a what was it a disease something like that i think she said and elizabeth what she was saying um what she's trying to say is she thought it was very refreshing that they didn't go with the oh i'm madly in love with my best friend kind of trope oh yeah i was so glad that that she got a friend who was not a love interest yeah it's just it's her best friend right elizabeth we have you again (coughs) yeah i don't (laughs) Can Maybe. you hear me now? I can't tell if we have her or not. Uh, okay, I hear her now. Speak now or forever hold your peace, Elizabeth. <laughs> All right, can you hear me? No. Sorry, I'm like moving wires no. around here. Uh, okay. He keeps cutting in and out. Uh, well, I will let Elizabeth chat type me while Gretchen and I continue this, and I will try to uh, speak for Elizabeth as well. Uh, All right, if I have something to contribute, I'll do that. Um, <laughs> let's try to. We'll go, we're going to go ahead and finish this out. Um, I really liked how they reconciled Lydia to her granddaughter's oh. sexuality so quickly, right? And she's a Catholic because she's like staunch Catholic. She's a staunch Catholic, and she's like. Well, who, is, who am I to question God? God says love everyone. God made her. And the Pope says love everyone. So who am I to question God and the Pope? Okay, I'm good. And even Penelope, who tries to support her daughter, is like, how, how did you reconcile all that in 30 seconds? And Lydia just comes back with, she is my granddaughter. I love her. Nothing is going to change that. Right, because El- 
Penelope has concerns about it. Well, not really concerns. You find out that a lot of it is disappointment and a change in expectations and, and working through that. But she was kind of hoping that Lydia would have a problem with it so that she wouldn't feel so alone. Which, again, they just have to have someone writing this because that just sounds so real to have that be the experience of, like, I don't want to be the only one who's uncomfortable. And when everyone mm-hmm. else is okay, she has a hard time. But she tr- that's the thing. She's trying. Yes. It's not like, oh, I'm uncomfortable and I'm going to eventually come around. Like, she is actively participating in her daughter's coming out. And she never lets Elena know that she's having a problem. Right. right. She's with it. really vocally She, she mentions auto-straddle. Like, she's like, yeah, I was up all night reading Auto Straddle. You know, lesbians used to, something with monocles. Oh, yeah, they used to wear, and monocles are really popular among lesbians in the early 20th century, or something like that. It was pretty funny. Yep. But, I mean, she is actively participating in her daughter's coming out to support her, and she does not let her daughter know that, oh, I'm having an issue catching up. She only shows support to her daughter, and I love that because she knows, like, this is my thing. I have to, mm-hmm. I have to worry about. And she goes and she brings back one of her um, support group ladies, who's a lesbian. They go to a, and they, they talk. They go a, to a gay bar. Yeah, they go to a gay bar. They talk a little bit. It doesn't quite help, but then she meets a straight dude whose brother is gay, and I love how they lay this out of. Your daughter has had months, if not years, to come to terms with this. You've had how long? And Penelope's just like, 36 hours. And he goes, oh, well, why aren't we in the Pride Parade already? But he just says, it's like, it's going to take you just a little bit of time because your entire future you had planned for her is going to change. Right. And he says, your heart's in the right place. It just, you need to give your brain just a little bit of time to catch up. That was so good the way they phrased that was she was not shamed for feeling like she wasn't ready yet and just the whole everything around it with her with her vocally supporting Elena but seeking then seeking out ways to help understand her experience she talks to her lesbian Mm -hmm. friend they go to a gay bar when she first meets the guy, she thinks he's a gay man. And so what she thinks he's doing is, is getting a perspective from someone who's inside the community about what this means. And what I like is that the advice he gives her is the advice of someone who's been in that position before. Because he's a straight mm-hmm. man, but his brother is gay. And so when he tells her, your heart is in the right place, you just give yourself some time to catch up. He's probably speaking from personal experience. And Mm -hmm. I, yeah, they handled that so well. And then, I mean, it gets emotional because Elena's dad is the one who is not supportive. And again, they handle that really well because... They do. That segues into our found family comment, though. Because Victor, her husband, the one we were talking about who is not dealing with his PTSD is not supportive of his daughter. And, I mean, Penelope is just, you know, you need to support her and love her. She's your daughter. Yeah. 
And he stands her up at the father-daughter dance at her kinsies. <gasps> and this comes to the part that Gretchen and I were, you know, we say gross, ugly, sobbing. We mean we were gross, ugly, sobbing at this. Yeah, not an exaggeration. That actually happened. <laughs> and she is standing alone in the middle of the dance floor. And Penelope realizes that Victor is gone. And do you want to tell this part or do you want me to? Oh, man. I can handle it. Um, so... Okay. You can do it. I can do it. I can get through it. It's so beautiful. So, the camera pans to where he's supposed to be sitting, and there's a spotlight where his seat is, and he's not there. And one of the things you have to to know to understand the scene is, early on in the series, Penelope had talked about how one of her struggles coming back as a vet is... And being a single mother is that she doesn't have anyone to support her. With Victor gone and them no longer being married, she doesn't have anyone who can tell her, I've got your back. And she's telling this to Lydia, who Lydia is trying to get her back, her and Victor back together. And Lydia, at the end of that episode early on, goes to Penelope and hugs her when Penelope is having a hard time and says, I've got your back. So, that in mind. Back of the Kinsays. Elena is standing in the middle of the dance floor. I've got you. I've got, I've got you. you. That's, That's what, what she says. says. I've got you. So Elena is standing in the middle of the dance floor. No one's there. And Penelope gets up and starts dancing with her and says, I've got you. And oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional because it was just beautiful. Like it's this beautiful scene where like the, it brings everything together. The women supporting women, the the overcoming of generational differences, found family. It's everything. And then slowly, one by one, the other members of the families join them. I think Alex comes next, or or Lydia does, but like then Lydia. Lydia comes, and then like Schneider comes along, Schneider. and Doctor Berkowitz, who and we didn't mention, but he and Lydia start hanging out, and like you just have this moment of like this is what family means, and family mm-hmm. means I've got you, and everyone other than Victor is just there for Elena and totally supporting her and it's it really is beautiful it really like ugly sobbing I'm getting emotional talking about it so because it's I mean it's everything that I would want from my family and that unconditional support right right of I've got you Mm -hmm. And it, and it sounds funny to have Schneider and Dr. Berkowitz there, but that's a huge part of this season is how these two seeming outsiders to this family, they're both straight white males, mm-hmm. find, like, find themselves drawn to this family and become accepted and loved by this family. And I think at one point they make a joke about how they pick up stragglers and, like, Carmen is... Elena's friend Carmen is essentially, you know, a a displaced member of the family. And speaking of Carmen, Schneider flies her oh, in from Texas right. so she can make Elena's quinces. Doctor Berkowitz, Elena was very uncomfortable with the dress, and Lydia would not give up until she was satisfied. And finally, she realizes, like, I'm gonna have to put her in some pants. And Dr. Berkowitz sews it together for her the night before. 
I mean, these guys have an investment in this family. They are very much, you know, like, it's a found family. Right. Yeah. And just, that's what they end the season on, is this display of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yes, I'm sorry your father disappointed you, but look all look at all these other people who love you. Right. And they do it in such a way that... And then they do. Yes. And they do it in such a way that it doesn't undermined the seriousness of what Victor did. Like, they never just push it under the rug. You really feel Mm -hmm. the emotional weight of the choice he made to essentially abandon his daughter in a moment that was really meaningful to her. And you feel that weight, and then you feel the release of, and she's Mm -hmm. not utterly alone. And I love that they, they don't gloss over Victor at all really ever like you you they never gloss over anything that anyone does that's inappropriate they they take it head on they challenge it they talk about it and then they move on and in this scene it happens to be the finale spoiler alert um right so (laughs) oh yeah by the way spoilers 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 all throughout the podcast (laughs) so we don't know where they're going yet but Still, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. Found family is everything. And and we didn't really talk as much about how funny it is, but it is it is genuinely hilarious. Like, I... It's very funny. It's very poignant. It's just a very heartwarming show. Gretchen said early in, the epi- uh, in this episode, recording whatever, that you can binge it in one afternoon. You absolutely can. And really... This is an hour of us talking about why you need to go watch it if you haven't yet. <laughs> now that we've spoiled the ep- the entire season right. for you. But still, you should go watch it. Right. I mean, and there are tons of other moments we didn't spoil. So you'll get some really great, right. exactly. Beautiful. You'll still find other right. things. Just bring some tissues. Yeah. Because you'll cry. Yeah, you will. In, in, a, in a wonderful way. In a really, really wonderful way. That's so good. Yay. Anyways... We're done. Uh, you should definitely tune in for our next episode because Gretchen and Elizabeth are going to be talking the 100. And we all know we have thoughts about the one. Well, they have going to be so great. I'm, I'm going to step back. I'm going to step back because this is Grizzabeth's show. But we all know they have thoughts on the 100. So thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in for our next episode because there's going to be lots of mics being dropped and salt being sprinkled out oh yeah so yeah you might have some deer near your house after the next episode because because we are going to be bringing the salt man it it's going to be glorious if you ever wanted to hear elizabeth and i uh talk very frankly about all of our feelings about the 100 tune in next time because that is exactly what you're going to get Yes, so I'm Corey. I'm also going to say goodbye for Elizabeth, who is still listening in very nicely and patiently. So, bye from me and Elizabeth. Bye from Gretchen. See you next time. Bye.